Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I am here with Jason. Hey, everyone. What's up, my guy? Doing all right about yourself, man. Uh, yeah. Hanging in I, there. I was lying to you. Actually, <laughs> actually things were a lot better. But this past month, man, March, March can fuck right off. Yeah, March was pretty rough. It's actually been a while since we recorded. <clears throat> Listeners won't know. I don't know why I admit it every time, but I've missed you, man. I've missed this. Yeah, yeah. The microphones, too. everything. Yeah. The, whole, the, whole, the whole shebang. And we've missed our listeners. We have. <laughs> <laughs> So join us as we climb out of our deep, dark pit with a listener episode. Yeah, and don't worry about us. Everything's okay. We're no. making it sound like horrible, but yeah, we're good. It's, Every, it's, everything's fine. It's all theatrics. We're, <laughs> we're, we're in talk radio. <laughs> I just don't want anyone to think that we're like out a, sending out a cry for help or something. <laughs> I mean, we did, you know, just play Linkin Park right before we came on, but it's okay. Um. So yeah, this is the end of sort of our fantasy block, and we're capping it off, as always, with a listener episode, and we are talking about, I kept saying Millionaire's Express, but technically it's the Millionaire's Express. It is. There's only one. There's only one. Um, from 1986, directed by the Sammo Hung. Mm-hmm. Sammo Hung Kimbo. Of legend. Um, and we've wanted to get at this one for a while. This came from Cliffy. You pitched this to us, man, uh, geez, last year with his original like yeah, set of stuff. It's been a while. Um, and we had to wait all this time, but by the grace of Arrow Video, doing an awesome release of this film, we're finally able to get at it. Yes. But before we get into all of that good stuff, we're going to do all our usual things, talk about what we've been watching, because this was the fantasy block. We have one particular film we absolutely have to discuss before we go on, um, but I've watched some stuff too. I'm sure you've watched some stuff. Uh-huh. And I've got a shout out. Yeah, okay. Go for it. It's nothing new or fancy, but we are part of the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, and we love it, and there's all these awesome other shows you could be checking out. And one that we are particularly fond of is Brett and Tony with Ash and Abe. Good peoples, we love you guys. And I don't know if you noticed this, Jason, but I happen to notice they recently did an episode on Repo, the genetic opera. Oh, sweet. That's one of my faves. Fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. I know when we did our musical block, we kind of all three struggled to not just make that be our pick. Yeah. <laughs> so if you've never checked out their podcast before, it's the perfect time to go give it a listen. We love Repo. It's a great film to listen to, like hear people talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great from the watch. Go check it out. Great man. from the watch. It's just great music, great cast. It just generates good vibes. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's awesome. It's good. Now that being said, what have you been watching? Um, well, I watched a documentary recently. What? I know. Um, it is called Dio Dreamers Never Die. It came out last year, apparently. Tell end of last year. Uh, I hadn't heard about it, and I was just kind of flipping around, and I saw it. I was like, ooh, I'm watching this, because I'm a huge Dio fan, as you know. And uh, it, it doesn't break any new ground. It's like your typical... You know, documentary. It shows Dio from his younger years up mm. to when he died. Um, but I mean, you can't help but love it because one, it's Dio, and everyone just like of all the figures in the rock world, he mm. seems to be the one that everyone just says is a genuinely cool <laughs> stand-up, yeah. great guy. I don't, I've never heard anybody say anything bad about him. You know? mm. So yeah, that's a rare feat. Yeah, in and, the music and, industry. And also had it had some tidbits I didn't know about. I don't want to spoil too much if you go watch it yourself. 
but I mean, his career stretched all the way back to like the late sixties. He was doing like doo-wop type stuff. <laughs> wow. You know, it was like pre Beatles. You know? Was there any, is there any audio of that that exists? Oh yeah. So, so cool. Yeah. There's some 45s out there of his stuff. Of course you can listen to it on YouTube, but his first band was, um, uh, Ronnie and the red caps. Oh yeah. Interesting. And, and his father made him play, uh, um, What's the horn with the uh, shit? <laughs> you know, one of those horns, one of them brass instruments. Uh, trumpet? It wasn't the trumpet. No. Okay. The ones with three valves. Oh my God, what's wrong with me? Anyway, made him uh, practice that like four hours a day, every day. <laughs> uh, let me interrupt this to ask you a question, Jason. Do you, sure. Do you smell burnt toast? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> I'm surprised I can perform coherent sentences right now. Wow, but that's cool. I, I like Dio. It's nothing I've ever gotten like super into. So yeah, I probably need to. Maybe this documentary is a way to. I think it's cool. Get in there more. Yeah. But uh, anyway, it's on Showtime. Check it out if you're a big Dio fan. Killer. How about you, man? What have you been watching? You know, I've got a Japanese film to talk about. Of course. Um, this one's more accessible than some of my recent uh, offerings. Mm-hmm. So I watched from 2020 Monster Seafood Wars. <laughs> This, uh, it's directed by Minoru Kawasaki, who has a long history of doing lots of like kaiju send-up films, low-budget comedies. I wasn't so, so it's not a serious movie, is what you're it's saying. It's not serious. No, uh, I, I I haven't gone deep into his filmography, but it looks like he has some. I don't know if they're pink films or just on the raunchier side. So mm-hmm. maybe we need to go back there and explore a little more. <laughs> Warrant some investigation. Um, but no, but this is about uh, a youth named Yuta who works at a fish market, and um. It's like a family thing, like his family business is there. Um, but he did work for this big corporation doing like science research because he's a super genius. And he was working on a device that could like increase the size of animals. Thereby like for food production and stuff, you could get more meat harvested and stuff like that. Makes um, sense. Nice altruistic bit of sci-fi there. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, he gets fired. He's kind of framed and forced to go work at the fish market with his family. And his invention gets stolen and used with some of the creatures at the fish market to make giant kaiju monsters. Oh, no. Uh, there's a giant squid. Uh, there's a giant, uh, like, octopus. And then there's a giant, uh, I think it's a lobster. It's the final one. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go on the typical kaiju rampage throughout the city. And he gets drafted in with a specially put-together task force to try to stop it all and save the day. Okay. So the kaiju parts are awesome. They have really great big rubbery suits with like very cartoony looking eyes on them. Mm-hmm. They're super fun. Um, they do all the right stuff. They have the big you know prop set, lots of explosions. Very very cool. Nice. Um, and you can clear you can clearly see it's supposed to be this like send up love letter of the kaiju um, yeah, genre. Sure. Um, poking a little fun here and there, but mm-hmm. still like you know doing the thing. Right. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I got to throw in the unfortunately there. For all of it, trying to like be this send up of like, hey, we love kaiju films. Check this out. It kind of commits a lot of the problems that bad kaiju films have. Uh-huh. There's a lot of focus on the human plot, and it's just and they're not engaging. And... Yeah, it's not engaging at all. Utah's like really, really, really wimpy, really weak willed. Um, there's this whole subplot about he's got a childhood friend that he has a crush on, and she's into this other dude who's like the cool guy that's awesome that everyone loves and. They kind of try to have a love triangle there, and mm-hmm. um, it really lost me because there's this part in the middle. It's supposed to be the start of like the downturn moment where everyone you know is against him, and he like 
gets into a fight with the girl, and he devolves into like slut shaming her. Wow. Where he's like, "Oh, so you're into this guy, and you're kind of like leading me on too." You just that's not cool. And I was like, "Bro, yeah, can't lose your sympathy for this guy at that point." Right? I was like, "You suck, dude. Like, yeah. what's going on?" And they never really like go back. Or I guess maybe it was supposed to be funny, but I don't know. It wasn't funny. <laughs> uh, but they never go back to that. And in the end, the other guy is kind of the mastermind behind everything, and he oh. set it all up and. That kind of resolves their thing, and they get together and like, ooh, they're a happy couple now. Cause, but it's like, dude, no, you were. Yeah, that's that's uncalled for. You were, you were a dick, and you never apologized. Yeah. What, um. So yeah, the human story is not that great. the The monster stuff is awesome. So I mean, if you're a kaiju aficionado, I think like you you, you are, just tune out. During you, you know the that, right? You, stuff. Yeah, yeah, tune out and wait for the cool stuff. Um, great finale. They have this twist surprise where one dude's been building a giant robot that's in the shape of a chef. <laughs> okay. And he's called uh, Jumbo Chef. And they activate him and send him out to save the day. Mm-hmm. It was pretty fun. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's like middling. Um, if you need like indie kaiju stuff to check out, it's worth watching. Mm-hmm. Um, he's done another one recently. Um, oh, and you know, I, I guess I should say like how I watched this. Um, it got a Blu-ray release from SRS Cinema. They're a smaller releasing label that go for a lot of indie stuff. And they focused on having a whole line of like indie kaiju and like Asian cinema in that vein. Nice. Which is awesome. Nice. Um, but yeah, this one just came up a little short for me uh, in the end. Hmm. That's too bad. Um, but I appreciate the try. Oh, sure. Um, speaking of middling films, do you want to talk about the new D&D movie? Yeah, I, th- I think that's where we're leading <laughs> up to. Um we, well, the whole reason we even did the fantasy block was so that we could talk about the D&D movie while the D&D movie was out. Well, one of the reasons. Um, we were going to make it like a special episode, but again, March became March. Yeah. And it was pretty crazy. So we're doing it here now. Indulge us a little bit. Mm-hmm. We had to see this separately because there was some sickness going on on your end. And, Unfortunately, yeah. yes. My wife had got COVID all, all <laughs> like almost three years or whatever without it and being uber careful. And then eventually she course gets it so but i'm proud of you because among the the group of us you're the one that avoided catching it yeah i don't know how <laughs> i really don't it's this basement man yeah. <laughs> it could be i'm glad i use that old lead paint now <laughs> <laughs> but yeah dungeons and dragons honor among thieves the first shall we say passable dungeons and dragons movie yeah I mean, that, that's the fair, bar right? was pretty fucking low, yeah. but yeah. I mean, I am partial to Book of Vile Darkness. I just but... hadn't seen that one. We have God. to get together and watch that sometime. God, it's fucking crazy. We'll do it. Yeah, so um, I guess a little background. We're both big gamers. We've talked mm. about you know, D&D and other games before on here. Um, I mean, I go all the way back to second edition. That's, that's when I started. That's where I started. Yeah. Uh, so we're Grognards, pretty much. Um, Jason, what does grognard mean for our <laughs> film fans that don't play RPGs? Oh, sure, sure, sure. It means uh, typically an older, often grumpy <laughs> gamer who uh, kind of prefers the old there methods of gaming, the old, the old ways. Back in my day. Yeah. Even though we both embrace new and modern games, they're still, I think it's more about attitude than anything. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I digress. Yes, so, the Attitude Era of D&D was my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was. Fourth edition Oh, wait, that, that's wrestling. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, okay, so, all right. How should we do this? Um, hmm. Should we talk about the good first? 
Let's... What we think was good. Sure, yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> it's like an intervention. We'll take turns saying <laughs> good, positive things. Yeah, but... let's do like good cop, bad cop, but for this movie, so. Okay, well, my expectations were fairly low going mm-hmm. in because the trailer really turned me off. It looked just like a Marvel movie. They even used Led Zeppelin song for no good reason whatsoever in the trailer. <laughs> um, but particularly, it had like a Guardians vibe to it, the trailer, I think. Yeah. And it turns out the movie does too, yeah, or it um, wants to. But it's that thing of like a ragtag group of misfits yeah. coming together to save the day. Sort of Lots of quippy banter and, mm. and things like that going on. Um, so it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Oh. Now that says, dam- that's kind of damning with faint <laughs> praise, isn't it? <laughs> Um, well, I should say, let's get this out of the way first. I liked it a lot more than you did. You did like it a lot more than me, yes. That's one thing. Yes. Um, one thing I did like about it is that they actually set it in the Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. And it, an enduring it, campaign setting for D&D that mm-hmm. in more recent years has kind of become the central main setting, they sort of suggest. Right. Um, so, of course, there's going to be that synergy there like that. Uh, and of course, you recognize a lot of the spells, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of the recognizable monsters. So it it, it feels more like D and D than say the 2000 movie did. Oh yeah, for sure, because that was just doing what the fuck ever. Yeah, and it really wasn't recognizable at all. Yeah, and, and I'll say like my D and D experience. So I, I got out of for a while of RPGs completely in college, and then I came back like with a vengeance. And during that time, I did a lot of organized play and like running stuff in shops. And when you're doing that, it's like very, very regimented, right? Because it's like what the company wants you to present mm-hmm. about the game. So all of it was set in the Forgotten Realms. So whether I wanted to or not, I became like, my brain is filled with so much Forgotten Realms lore that I just know all this crazy stuff. Right. And I have to give a lot of props to the film because everything was on point. Everything was where it needed to be. There wasn't any weird references. Like their lore game was 100% accurate. I'm sure there's maybe some hyper next level nerd beyond me that could prove me wrong but Mm -hmm. like it was it was passable and for a hollywood film to come in and take something like that and not just like bull in a china shop kind of thrash it around right uh that showed a lot of care which i thought was cool Mm -hmm. and and that comes to one of my points about how they've got this wealth of information out there and why not use it it's Mm -hmm. all there you know so at least they did that this time. And some of it was surreal to me because like, uh, a lot of the film is set in the city of Neverwinter, which is one of the iconic Forgotten Realm cities. Mm-hmm. And I really had this moment, like, this is just a stupid fan thing, but like watching it in the theater, I was like, damn, this is like a place that I have lived like hours and hours and hours of my life in playing D&D. And then I finally see it like realized visually to see. Did beyond... it live up to your mental expectations? Yeah, I think so, really, yeah. to be honest. Nice. Okay, cool. Uh, That was some nice things we said about it. What else nice can we say about Uh, it? I have more nice things. I thought there was a lot of good, uh, I'm going to say D&D humor, where they kind of like mimic these sort of like jokes or comedy that can come up playing a game of D&D, whether you mean to or not. Ah, like how many questions they get to ask. Right, right. There's a whole extended bit where they use Speak with Dead because they want to get some information about a thing that happened a long time ago in the past. Yeah. And it becomes this repeated gag of the first time they blow all their questions. They get like five questions before they fall back dead again. So they blow all the questions the first time. And then it becomes this like telephone game of like they talk to one person and they're like, oh, well, this person knows what happened. Yeah, so yeah. then they have to find their corpse, dig them up. Right. Uh, I, I dug it. I thought that was great. It was funny. It may have gone a bit long, but it was a good bit. <laughs> um, 
Um, I appreciated <laughs> a lot of the special effects work. Like, I really thought for any of the monstrous races that aren't, like, straight up a human or, like, a human with pointy ears or stuff, I just assumed all that would be CG because Hollywood is lazy. Let's just get that out there. Right. Um, and there is a lot of CG. There is a lot of CG because some stuff, like the big dragon, like you... Sure. Eh. It's hard to do that practically. We, we, we cover Dragon Slayer. We know mm. what it takes to do that, and it's a lot of money and a lot of time. Yep. Um, but no, so, like, um, there's a few Dragonborn... And there's a few tabaxi, which are like cat people. Mm-hmm. And they were actually like full on, like, you know, like, like animatronics. Yeah, yeah, animatronics, suit with mask kind of thing. They look good. On. They were nice. And they look good and fit well. Also, bonus for having a tabaxi kitten. Yeah. Freaking adorable. <laughs> um, the cast is fine. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the witty banter and constant arguing. <laughs> it, it got a little old for me, but mm-hmm. it wasn't as bad as I was anticipating. Like, there was no point where I wanted to get up and leave the theater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that says a lot for you. Um, um, I did like, I guess you wouldn't call it the banter, but like some of the reoccurring gags they made, like um, uh, Ed, Chris Pine's character, he had this whole thing where people would give him important stuff. And then he would just pass it off to Simon, the sorcerer in the group. Hold, yeah. And he'd be, he would get it, and they'd be like, oh, here's this important thing. And he'd be like, oh, cool. Hey, Simon, can you hold this for me? <laughs> oh, yeah. And just, like, pass it off. Um, I, um, okay, now let's go into some of the bad, because I can see your, your, your dad. I, I do like the pudgy love. dragon. I will, I will do that. But, okay, using the pudgy dragon, what's, what's the dragon's uh, name? Timber Chad, okay. I believe. Uh, this segues into one of my issues. Mm-hmm. And also, it, it talks it's during that scene where they're trying to find out more information by raising the dead. But we see this cool flashback to this battle. Mm-hmm. There's this huge black dragon. They show it in the trailer. You've seen it. And I was like wanting more of that, please. Because mm-hmm. that dragon looked pretty cool. We don't get a really good close look. But it looks dangerous. <laughs> you know, it's spitting acid everywhere and everything. Which is awesome. Because that's like a whole thing in D&D. Is yeah. that different dragons have different right. breath weapons. And they got that right. And it looks cool. And it's neat. And you know, another fun, super nerdy lore thing about that flashback. Yeah. Um, they're fighting the cult of dragon. And their costumes are perfectly accurate to the... Uh, like the art in the books. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Which I appreciated because you go over to the Witcher and, you know, I've griped about this before. They mm-hmm. did the whole thing where the Nilfgaardians, they were like, oh, let's give them penis helmets. Oh, yeah. So people know they're the bad guys. Their armor sucks. Yeah. It's like, you already know they're the bad guys. They're yeah. obviously doing terrible things. Right. Like, oh, okay, sure, yeah. <laughs> um, so to go from something like, you know, you see the cool black dragon and you're like, ooh, yeah, and then you get a pretty comical encounter with the pudgy dragon. <laughs> It's like I feel denied of like a serious, you know, kind of scary encounter. Because mm-hmm. that's one thing about the game that they did not capture. That, And I've got friends that argue that, oh, D&D is just for fun. <laughs> it's never serious. It, it can be serious. Because I've played games where people are like, you know, the big bad comes out and you're like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. You know, people are getting knocked down left and right and you're in a dire situation. I never, ever once felt like any of the characters were in any danger, that there was ever any real threat. I thought the villains were weak, weak, weak. You Grant, when he would when he would calm it down, he was pretty amusing, but he, he went over the top too many times. There's no uh, Jeremy Irons, but... No, no. Maybe they can bring him back in for the sequel, <laughs> if there's a sequel. But I thought he went a bit... I don't think there will be. Uh. Uh, the financials aren't looking good for this movie. No, they are not. Me. Um, it's got that whole thing where like the critical reception's kind of mid, but then the audience score is pretty high. I right. Guess. Yeah. 
And it, honestly, I think it's just, it was too expensive of a movie to really make a profit. Because mm-hmm. I think it's supposed to be like 150 is what it cost, $150 million. Mm-hmm. So it made, I think, 70, 75 international. Oh, yeah. But any genre movie is going to have at least a 50% drop the following weekend. Mm-hmm. Unless it's just some sort of a breakout hit. Plus, we've got the the Mario movie dropping. Which... Yeah, and that's going to... I predict a 60% <laughs> drop for the Dungeons & Dragons movie. And that's so, vaguely fighting in the same space for a lot of people, I yeah. think. And then you have to make whatever double your budget was to mm-hmm. make a profit due to marketing and stuff like that. So I don't think we're going to see a sequel. Um, which is sad, but it is what it is. So criticisms that I have, did I have any like... Oh, I feel like I've already forgotten them. Oh, I'll say this for the movie in general. I did like it. I had a lot of fun. I think I gave it like a four on letterbox. That's a generous wow. generous four just because I was pleased that it wasn't deeply offensive to the world of D and D. My rating's dead average at two and a half. Uh, which is fair. Um, but I will say, like, since I watched it, I don't think I've thought about it at all. Right. Yeah. Like it's there's nothing memorable about it, there's nothing remarkable about it. Um, I'll probably buy it on Blu-ray when it's out just to have it. You buy everything on Blu-ray. <laughs> I do anyways. Um, and I might watch it when I buy it just to go back again, but it's not one of those like, oh, I got to revisit this constantly yeah. and mine, right. mine stuff out of it. Right. Um, it was good. I think, so you have this whole hang up on like, you wanted it to be darker, right? <sighs> not I th- even necessarily darker, just a bit more serious, you know? So I- it's very much like a Marvel film. Right. And that's another movie. It's, it's just the same thing. I got that same complaint. <laughs> Anyway, go ahead. Um, so I'll say this for it. I agree with you on that, but also I think for them, like D and D can be a lot of things. If you're if you're into the game and you're like us, there's different campaign settings, there's different tones you can take. You can have like what this movie was, and that's one thing, and then you can go over to like Ravenloft, which is their gothic horror setting, and you can do like a really dark, really serious story where there's mm-hmm. like no joking at all, and it's hundred percent like serious dark fantasy, more akin to something like Solomon Kane, which right. we covered. Um, and there's a huge range in between there. There's all kinds of other stuff. I love Dark Sun, where it's like a dying planet that's a desert, and there's evil sorcerer kings, and you're you're fighting tyranny, but everyone's dying, so it's like you're fucked. What's it matter? Mm-hmm. Um, they'll never make that into a movie for sure. No, no. Um, but so it can be a lot of things. So they had the challenge of trying to make one thing, and passing that across the plate. And I think um, if you look at like the current fifth edition, the actual adventure modules they publish. I think the tone of this film is in line with those books. And I think that's kind of the lane they picked to go in. Sure. Which for them, I think was a good idea, but no matter which way you picked to do it, you knew you had to like alienate some people. Right. Well, when you're trying to appeal to the broadest base, you're going to alienate some people. Right. Uh, but also, neither of us are exactly happy where five, fifth edition's gone, so that's sticking whole, close to that. That's isn't. a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> I think this drops late enough, late enough to talk a little bit about spoilers, because, I don't know, I, I really wasn't laughing during the movie. There were some points where I would kind of oh, smile. Oh, I laughed. I laughed a lot. Really? The whole, like, Jarnathan thing at the start. Oh. God damn, man, that was funny. Okay, all right. I mean, it was amusing, mm-hmm. and, I mean, humor is so subjective. And I, I was smiling. I was enjoying myself. But the only time I laughed out loud was in the arena scene mm. where you see the other adventuring parties pop up. Yep. And there's a very well-placed cameo. Very well-placed. I, I won't spoil it. But if, if you, especially if you're a child of the 80s, <laughs> you will get it. Um, which that's a whole fun scene anyways from like a fan perspective because that's where you get like the Displacer Beast, the Gelatinous Cube, mm. the Mimic, a lot of the really iconic D&D monsters. 
And they looked good, you mm-hmm. know. It's just, it never felt like there was any threat or danger, which bothered me. And I wanted a better villain, because these villains were completely weak <laughs> for me. So, um, that's my take. I got two more points I'll bring up about it, and then we can lay this to rest and move on. First okay. point, one last, one last little bit of praise for them. It's one of those like unconventional things I thought was cool. A lot of props to the people that made this story that there's no like central love romance angle going on. I agree with that. Um, there's a bit of a side thing with Simon and Dork. Sure. But it's mostly played for laughs, and I think it's like the right level. Um, but as far as like Ed and Holga, which are kind of the central main characters of the group, they get the most development. It's really just about their sort of like found family bond that they have. Yeah, it's more of a brother-sister type mm-hmm. thing. They both kind of had terrible lives, and in happenstance, they've sort of clung together and made this little family. Yeah. Um, and they really stuck to that like family bond, and I thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of just saying like, "Hey, we got to have a romance plot in here," I agree. Especially with Ed being a bard, because that's the typical like trope of a bard. If you talk about D anD D, is like, "Oh, they're going around romancing everyone yeah, in the kingdom." People, yeah. yeah. Um. So that's one. Two. Other one. This is kind of a criticism. I want to know where you land on it. Speaking mm-hmm. of Edwin the Bard, or it's Edgin, isn't it? Edgin. Edgin. Yeah. Yep. Edgin the Bard. Edwin's someone else's character. <laughs> of course. I've probably played at Edwin before. Um, but no, so he is a bard. Does he use magic in this He song? doesn't do a damn thing. Right, yeah. Um, he plays I, a song a couple of times, but it's not like he's not entrancing anyone um, or anything. As far as like seeing things like from the game into the film, like every other character, they do the things their class does, and you see like iconic spells or abilities like uh, the Druid's Wild Shape. I think we see him like do bardic inspiration, especially with some of like the speeches he gives them at certain points. Oh, that's a stretch, but okay. Um, but yeah, I was surprised that he never uses magic, and I don't know what the decision was because in earlier editions of D anD D, you could have a bard that didn't have magic. Mm-hmm. It was usually like you had to get so many levels in before the magic started to be a thing. Well, now every class has magic. Because the about? whole idea of the bard is you're like the jack of all trades. You do a mm-hmm. little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, you're more of a rogue, really. But if this is fifth edition which is, seems to be implied that it is, uh-huh. it's inherent that the bard has magic from the start. So right. I thought that was an interesting choice. Now, I've seen theories online where they're like, well, he used them, but it was all subtle, like charm person and suggestion, and it was mm. just with his words. And I was like, mm, don't give me that. Yeah. When everybody else yeah. gets like cool, like special effects and stuff. No. Yeah. Um, it was interesting and kind of a weird little thing. No, I agree with that. But that's super nerdy and super specific. So it is. It really is. I don't knock it too much for that. Okay. So, yeah. That was the D&D movie. Um, for, that was our reaction. That was our reaction. Uh, let us know what you think if you went to see it. Um, whether you are deeply entrenched in the world of D&D or not. That was one thing I was curious about seeing from other people like... There's no way that you and I can watch it and divorce ourselves from having played D&D oh, yeah. for years. No. Um, so I wonder how it plays to someone with like no experience with the game at all. Yeah, just and, as and, a fantasy And film. they're just coming at it as a movie. Because mm-hmm. I, saw, I saw some people comparing it to stuff like, uh, like Lady Hawk. Mm. As far as like the way it felt. Really? Yeah. Uh, I wondered. Lady Hawk's much darker though. True. But anyway. <clears throat> Neither here nor there. Yep. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, uh, soft swing right across the plate. I kind of liked it. Jason kind of didn't. I, I thought it was perfectly fair and <laughs> average. I mean, like if you like fantasy and you like D&D, give it a watch. Mm-hmm. But temper your expectations. 
You know, it's not going to blow your mind. That's my opinion. Cool. It's, it's fine. <laughs> this is fine. <laughs> doesn't matter. None of this matters. None of this matters. This doesn't matter. Just take Jones and Smith or something. It doesn't matter. Right, so today we are talking about The Millionaire's Express from 1986. Which isn't a fantasy film. Which isn't a fantasy <laughs> film. This is our listener episode. It's it, our listener episode. it doesn't have to be a fantasy film. Um, we make the rules, damn it. It is very fantastical, though. It is. It is very fantastical. <laughs> it's a crazy movie, I'll tell you that right now. Uh, this one came to us from Cliffy. Thank you, man, for this one. That Cliffy, he's got good taste. He does. He's two for two on these. Um, I guess let's start at the top with the genre. Okay. So officially this is considered an action comedy western. I think that's pretty spot on. I don't really have anything to add to it. Martial arts? True. I Which think is sort can... of a subgenre of action, but mm-hmm. I think it's a very specific tag to put on there. Mm-hmm. Because when, some people think action, they're thinking like Rambo, shoot em right. ups. Some people, th- you know, martial arts brings it in a different, you know mindset which i think this definitely falls under martial arts i think right out of the gate a thing i want to throw in here to ping pong back off of uh we covered in our western block let the bullets fly mm-hmm. and i think it's interesting to contrast those two these two films because uh let the bullets fly it definitely leaned more into like the western like gunplay action elements mm-hmm. whereas millionaires express sort of splits the difference there is gunplay but there's also a whole lot of martial arts right. action in there. Although, honestly, I think uh, of all of the tags that this movie gets, the comedy is the most... They're, yeah. they're definitely focusing on comedy on this one. <laughs> if it was one of those like focused tag box things where like, they're bigger sizes based on their relevance, that, mm-hmm. would, be the, that yep. would be the really big one. Yep. Um, so maybe I'll hit you with the synopsis. Do it. And then we'll, then we'll go into this. What happens when a glamorous express with high government officials, wealthy merchants, concubines, and a gang of brigands on board speeds towards the small town of Han Shui, where escaping bank robbers, corrupt officials, and gamblers await? Well, let's just say the Titanic had a smoother maiden voyage. <laughs> Damn, that's, that's a weird synopsis. It is a weird synopsis. <laughs> that's like that, what would be on the back of a VHS tape. <laughs> it may have been. I don't know. <laughs> nice. Okay. It's a weird, weird synopsis. I'm kind of hung up on that now. But that's, that's yeah. very strange. Huh. <laughs> Titanic. Jesus. Hmm. <laughs> Review these synopsis a little more. I wouldn't, I wouldn't compare your movie to a real-life tragedy. <laughs> uh, we start in the winter. It's a nice, snowy uh, yep. landscape. Yeah, we get a man riding on horseback. And this is Ching Fong Ten. Mm-hmm. Our main character, played by Sammo Hung. The great Sammo Hung. The great Sammo Hung. Again, I think I should say up the front, I mentioned it last time, kind of a gray area for me. I mostly know him from the Jackie Chan stuff. Mm-hmm. Where in there, you know, it's still like, you're kind of focused on Jackie Chan because he's the star in those. Um, so this was cool for me to see him sort of helm a film himself. Because, um, yeah, it was, just a, it was a gray area for me. So that, that was interesting. Mm, cool. Uh, yeah, I mean... God, he's done so much. I mean, he he was with Jackie Chan and Ewan Bao since they were little kids because they were both in the same Peking opera. Mm. They, were, they were called the Seven Little Fortunes. 
Nice and names. Along with uh, Wu Ma, who's also in this movie, I believe. There's tons of people in this movie, man. It's, it's em- a huge cast. It's I'm embarrassing. Buried in the list over here. Yeah, so he comes upon uh, what looks like a group of dead soldiers mm-hmm. laying in the snow. <laughs> so, you know, what do you do? You're going to rob the corpses, right? Hey, speaking of D&D references, that's... <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's that body got on him? <laughs> but while he's rifling, he hears a bugle go off. And the men stand up. Because it was just like some sort of an exercise, right? Yeah, it was a training exercise. They were doing a war game. <laughs> <laughs> and at this point, I'm wondering, because I saw the trailer, and I'm wondering how it gets from this to what we see in the trailer. <laughs> right, because these appear to be Russian soldiers. Yeah. I'm like, where is this guy? What, what's the time frame? Um, but yeah, it, it immediately sets this comedic tone because like it, it's such a weird transition to be like he's looting this battlefield and then they all just kind of sit up and are staring at him. Mm-hmm. So they take him back to their cabin and they got him dressed up like a woman, right? Yep. And, and they want him to start stripping and, and dancing more. he's like dancing and everything. <laughs> One of them even goes to like grope him. Yeah. Just like smacking him off. <laughs> Uh, but he notices that I don't, I don't care what his character's name is. I'm calling him Sammo the entire time. That's fine. So he notices that one of the guys has like grenades strapped to him. So he grabs the grenades and starts whacking some of them and jumps out the window, but also throws the grenades in as he's <laughs> yes. jumping out the window. This is pretty epic. Yeah. But now he's out in the code half naked. Yeah. And there's, there's nothing left in that room. <laughs> yeah, little the, like the cabin they were in. Up. Yeah. However, um, he's not alone for too long. No. We get uh, another one of our, not quite main characters, but a reoccurring one of some some element in this film. Yeah, another writer shows um, up. Fook Loy, played by Kenny B. And he is this government agent that seems to be kind of, kind of bounty hunter-esque, I would say. Yeah, I was thinking bounty hunter for sure. Uh, but yeah, Sam was on a horse, but... Fukuloi shoots the horse yeah. and then shoots his own horse <laughs> to ensure yes. that Sammo can't escape. And I like it because it's like a, it very organically they tell you sort of Ching's like history as a character that he's this like wanted criminal mm-hmm. and he's known for making these escapes, but they don't just like dole that out an explanation. Yeah. You see it through um, his actions. Yeah, show don't tell. Yeah. Number one rule, right? Screenwriting. We've been saying that a lot lately. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and Fukuloi seems impervious to Ching's attempts to bribe him, mm-hmm. and he's all tied up, right? But uh, then Ching feigns being frozen to death <laughs> <laughs> to, to trick Fukuloi into coming closer to him, uh, where he kind of he kind of kicks him, grabs him, gets his knife, cuts himself free, and there, <laughs> and then it gets really cartoonish. Yeah. This is when I realized that okay. Uh, Looney Tunes was a big inspiration for this movie, too. Yeah, because I got Looney Tune vibes with them, like, making him dress up as a girl and dance and yeah. stuff. And then how he outsmarted them. I was like, okay, this is like some Bugs that's, Bunny that's shit. That's definitely Bugs Bunny yeah. shit. But but then we get them, they tussle in the snow, and they become a full-on giant snowball. It's <laughs> yeah. just rolling out of control. <laughs> so they get this big, like, styrofoam, huge snowball rolling down the <laughs> cliff. Um, it made me think of, uh, and I'm, I'm, this may have been inspired off of it, but... Uh, Legend of the Stardust Brothers, they do that whole gag in like the final chase scene where people roll up into a ball together. Oh yeah, yeah. right. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if that was a little homage to something like this. I don't know. Uh, so, so they kind of crash, and then um, Samo gets the better of Fook, 
detective's clothing and leaves him partially undressed and Fuchs like swearing revenge. Yep. And you gotta love Samuel's dedication in this too. Cause he, I mean, they're, they are obviously outside in oh, the yeah. real snow Yeah. and he is like, it's just in his underwear <laughs> <laughs> and that shit had to be code. I guess that's where the training from his days with the seven little fortunes really comes in handy because, oh man, there's this movie called Peking Opera Blues, mm-hmm. which is about them. I think they changed the names and everything though. Mm. Uh, but I mean, the stuff that they went through as children, I mean, the rigorous training and I mean, I don't want to use the word torture, but mm-hmm. damn, you know, the stuff mm-hmm. they had to go through. Is that a film that's out there people can watch? I think or? it's fairly accessible. Yeah. Cool. I'll definitely throw that in the show notes. Yeah. Um, so he gets away. Yep. He makes his daring escape having gotten the better of his pursuer. And then suddenly we're with a gang of robbers planning a train heist. Mm-hmm. And it's full on like a Western now. They're in a, looks like a back room of a saloon or something. Mm-hmm. A lot of shady folk. And apparently uh Hi-Yu is the big boss here and he called them all together because he wants to rob this train. Uh, that is not only carrying very wealthy passengers, mm-hmm. but also it has Japanese agents who have a map to the terracotta army of uh, Chen Shi Huang's tomb. Mm-hmm. So he wants that map. <laughs> and he, th- and he, he says, okay, I'll give you all like so much money, like 10,000 silver dollars, and they can keep whatever they steal from the rich passengers as long as he gets this map. Fair deal. <laughs> Sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> And they will hit the train in the backwater town of Han, Hansui, Hansui Town. Mm-hmm. It's a little nowhere place that's far from any any active like policing force. Yeah. And we have this, they said they're going to hit it at this bridge. And then we get a shot of all these bandits that are these goons bandits hiding out by this bridge waiting for the train to come. Mm-hmm. And then we get another scene kind of out of nowhere. It took yeah. me a while to put this into... Yeah, it jumps with, around a lot here at the start. Yeah. But we see Samuel's character, Ching, with some uh, beautiful woman. And I, I could not really... Obviously, they were together, but it was the nature of the relationship is really strange because they don't really bother to explain it. They just kind of jump into it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, too, as it develops as we, as we go along here. But apparently, he used to be with her, left her. He went out, life and adventure or whatever. And now he's back. And I think the gist is he's taking her and her sisters somewhere else for a better life. Because mm-hmm. they're they're running a uh, whorehouse yeah. in this town. And there's this scene where they kind of start making out and there's this passerby and he's just watching. <laughs> Don't mind me. Oh, yeah, I love that. Because they're starting to go further and then he's like, wait, no, someone's watching. <laughs> he's like, oh, don't mind and me. He's like five feet away. <laughs> um, but there's this whole funny exchange where this, this mob of angry women show up at the whorehouse and they're wanting to get it shut down. Yeah, um, because they say it's in, it's indecent. Their their husbands are all sneaking away to come there, uh, and they, they're done with it. They're gonna burn the place down if they have to, because it's indecent and it destroys the morals of the town. Mm-hmm. All those good old arguments that you know. Sure, that hold no real water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, all of the dudes are upset because they're like, "Hey, what's going on?" <laughs> um, but but Ching steps up and he uh, kind of intercedes in this situation before they can march and storm the place. Stops him on the steps. And he gives this rousing speech in defense of the whorehouse. Okay, this scene was not in the movie I watched. What? Yeah, that scene was not in there. Oh, oh this is maybe a good time to interject and say that uh, there's multiple cuts of this film. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I wish I had bought the I had brought my Blu-ray with me. I forgot it, but I watched the one that's streaming on Arrow. Okay, so so there are two different Hong Kong cuts. Each one has some different scenes, I think. And then there's an international cut that's sort of its own thing. And for this most recent release, I don't think it was Arrow that made it. I think it was... I have it in my notes here. Uh, Eureka Entertainment in the UK in 2021. They put together this thing, a fourth cut, known as the Hybrid Cut. They brought in uh, Hong Kong film expert Brandon Bentley. And it was this very careful incorporation of all the footage from both Hong Kong cuts to make a completed version with every scene possible. That must be the one you watched. Um, And it used... I think each cut had different musical arrangements, and it kind of blended both Hmm. for the score. Interesting. I think the one Arrow's playing must be the Chinese edition, then. Hmm. Interesting. The Hong Kong one. So, yeah, he gives this rousing speech about uh, how he was, like, a a young kid and uh, with his mom and her supporting him. And it's this long, very ponderous kind of defense of brothels that doesn't make a lot of sense. (laughs) But he's so impassioned and kind of, you know, playing on the pity of, like... Uh, he's like, you know, you're, you're housewives and the, the men provide for you and da 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 and all this stuff. And, <laughs> and look at the women here. They're having to struggle to make a living. And um, he kind of flips it on them mm. and they end up sort of uh, relenting on their anger and, and see, seeing the peace and kind of like, oh, you know, you, you poor women, we'll, we'll leave. We won't cause any more trouble. And, and they drift off as all the guys are just kind of like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's fun. Uh, doesn't doesn't add to the plot at all, so that's maybe why it's not in whatever version you saw. But yeah, it was pretty funny. Interesting. Okay. Um, okay. Well, then we go to the actual town that they're talking about, Honshu, mm-hmm. uh, where the train's supposed to come through. And immediately, there's shenanigans going on here. Shenanigans. Yeah. We meet the police, mm-hmm. the police chief, uh, Jukebo, and his men. Uh, apparently, they have decided they're just going to rob the place. Yep. This is let's rob the town and get out of here. Yeah. So they're planning on setting a fire as a diversion. <laughs> and while they're putting the fire out, the, the cops are going to rob the bank and get out. Hmm. Um, Which importantly, we should say the uh, fire chief is kind of like the moral compass of the whole city. Uh, Sal Chuck Kin, played by Yuen Bao. Yes, the great Yuen Bao. He's fantastic. Uh, and he just has that just... Man, he's just such a hero the second he comes on the scene. He is. In this. Yeah, he's so charismatic. Mm-hmm. You know, he's handsome. And his, his martial arts... His physicality is amazing. Yes. I mean, he's he's as good as Jackie Chan. Easily. If not better. I mean, I, his movements are so fluid and mm-hmm. so graceful. He's just one of the best. Um, but yeah, the, he, he steps into action. He's getting his crew together. They're going to put out this fire. Um, oh, yeah, he does that cool flip. Oh, yeah. Off yeah. that four-story bu- uh, burning building. Which I, had a, I had a note about that because there was... There's a lot of crazy stunt stuff that happens in this movie, like behind the scenes that went on. So in that somersault scene, he actually broke his leg. I can believe it. Because I, I guess they had like a pad or, or something buried beneath mm-hmm. the dirt. So he lands on that. But it looked a little weird when he landed. So that. But the shot is epic. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's amazing. Uh, there's a comical part where they save a fat lady from the burning building. They have like the, the trampoline for her to, to mm-hmm. land on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a, it's a blind woman that he goes in to save, I think. Yes. Yeah. And again, there's like some Looney Tunes stuff in there too, I yeah. think. <laughs> and uh, the police chief is told by his men that his his physique will 
betray him, that they'll know that who he is. Mm-hmm. So then he puts on stilts under really long pants. Yes. So for like 15 minutes, he's walking around in these huge stilts. Um, but yeah, while the while they're dealing with the fire, the, the cops hit up the bank and rob it blind. Mm-hmm. Some of them escape. Some of them are apprehended by the fire brigade. <laughs> and, and then we see kind of how desperate this town is because they have a whole like gathering in the wake of this. And the mayor, I think his name was Mayor Yi, I think. That's a funny scene. Yeah, he gives this whole speech that's just like... It's so honest and so brutal. That the town's doomed. There's no way to get that money back. Uh, this is the end. It's all over. Um, but Sao is kind of like, nah, we can we can pull through this. We all got to work together. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll catch the, the criminals that ran away. We'll get the money back somehow. And, and it's obvious that he's really the leader of this town. <laughs> and so he gets made the chief of security. Mm-hmm. And the police, the police chief and his men that did escape, are they're planning to jump on the Millionaire's Express to right. get away as it passes through. Yeah, so that'll be the quickest way out of there. <laughs> so you can see now, there's like five different plots, kind of all swirling, all hinged on this train. Yes, and this one little location. So I think next is where we get the scene of the train being boarded, right? Yes, yeah. right, right. We go to Shanghai. Mm-hmm. We see mobsters and rich people. Everybody's starting to board the train. We get our Japanese officials. We see them getting mm-hmm. on. We get... We get some comical bits here, too. Yeah, there's an amusing meeting between... Um, let's see. Uh, Wong Kei Ying and his son, Wong Fei Hung, who is a very, very popular folk hero mm. in China. I mean, he's pretty much, he's like a Robin Hood or anything like that. He's, he's, and there's been tons of movies made about him. Jet Li's played him. And Wong Feng Hung is, is is a little kid. We see them as children. And there's a rival, Sifu, and his kid. And apparently they've got like this longstanding beef and the kids kind of start fighting and they have to separate (laughs) them. And it becomes a recurring gag for the rest of the film. Yes. Uh, we meet a man who's cheating on his wife. Yeah, Han, <laughs> played by Richard Ng. Han, Richard Ng. And you've seen Richard Ng, and he's been yeah. in everything, too. God, this was maybe my favorite of the little like side jokes that goes on. It was probably the funniest stuff. <laughs> yeah. But we'll get into that when it comes up. But yeah, but yeah he's got a, a very sultry mistress that's also boarding the train mm-hmm. with plans to uh, rendezvous with her when he can. Oh, yeah, there's that scene where the inspectors are on the train, and they're talking with the Japanese passengers. Who obviously had their katanas out. Yeah. And he's like, hey, no weapons. And one of them grabs their katana and cuts a fly in half. Yeah. And they're like, okay, <laughs> shut the door. <laughs> You're good. I think of people boarding, I think that's the main ones, like the key. Yeah, those are the most important ones, really. Um, so at that point, we catch back up with Ching. At this point, he's he's brought... Um, ah, his girlfriend and her sisters are yeah. arriving into the town. Yep. And yeah. it's, it's his hometown. It's this big reunion for him, kind of. Um, we get, I think, it may be a little later, but we could just talk about it now. He get, we get a little backstory about how he was like super smart, but he liked to kind of invent things. And what he like blows up the town at one point, I think, when he was a kid, and yeah. they kind of ran him off. And so he just has this dream of you know coming back there, making the town prosperous, and being a great hero to them. <laughs> and there's a funny line where the, the women are getting out of the car, and there's just little like baby chicks. You know, mm-hmm. around a hen house or whatever, yeah. and, and she just reaches down and starts petting them, and he, t- he tells her not to play with the baby cocks, or people will know what she does for a living. 
Yeah, because he's kind of trying to do this on the sly. They basically yeah. uh, purchase... It's like an old, old hotel that's yeah. ran down. And he has plans that he's going to revitalize it and make it a nice little like tourist passenger stop. And he's presenting all these ladies as upstanding, you know, mm-hmm. fine citizens. Immediately, Sal is kind of onto him. He yeah. just knows that something's up. And so he assigns some of his now police force to kind of spy on them. Uh, but he, it, it becomes... This is where I really thought it let the bullets fly because it's this whole like cat and mouse back and forth mm-hmm. between the two of them trying to one-up one another. Yeah, he's constantly trying to catch them. Uh, oh, yeah. So they get the hotel fixed up pretty quickly. I don't know how much yeah. time passes, but it's looking pretty nice. <laughs> There's that scene where uh, Chow goes to... Uh, he's talking with all the uh, all the girls. Yeah. And they're all kind of like taking turns flirting with him and stuff. Yeah, they're trying to distract him. <laughs> There's a scene where Ching comes into the door and, and Chow's behind it. He doesn't see him. And of course, he spouts the entire plan <laughs> that they are there to uh, fleece all the big spenders that have come to the hotel. Yep. He's come up with an ingenious plan to make the uh, Millionaire's Express stop and have to have everyone stay over in the town. Yeah. I wonder what this plan could be. Um, and one of the sisters, Chi, played by Rosamund Kwan, she declares her affection for Chow. Yeah. She's really S- saying they met in the dream. He's like, he like rebuffs her. I don't know what his problem is. He's a man on a mission. I, I think this so. is his yeah. deal. No distractions. <laughs> he doesn't have time for love. <laughs> uh, then we get a visit at the bandit camp. Yep. Where we see Cynthia Rothrock. Which immediately just kicks it up another yep. notch. Yeah. And she has to teach one of those asshole bandits a lesson. <laughs> uh, which I was excited that she was in this after we had just watched... Um, it just left my mind. Writing wrongs. Yeah, we had just watched Writing Wrongs not too long ago, and she was amazing in that. Yeah, she's so good. She's, she's underutilized in this movie. I'll tell you that. Yeah, but it has a cast of hundreds, so it's kind of hard to, for everyone to really get their moment. And she does have her moment. She has a great fight later on. But she and this other Guelo show, uh, shows up, and the Chinese bandits want to fight them, but uh, their bosses forbid it. Mm-hmm. But they do. They do punch the white guy who shows up for having a dirty mouth, and he's dressed <laughs> like a. Confederate soldier or yeah. something. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay, so this is when, back on the train. This is one of those scenes where we get... Uh, so the two masters and their children are sharing a cabin. Mm-hmm. And every time they go through a tunnel, someone gets hit. Yeah. <laughs> like something they'll have a black eye or something like that. Well, it starts It's one of the kids. Oh, yeah. And then it's like the masters get into it in retaliation. Mm-hmm. So every time it's just start giving for a second, <laughs> someone gets hit. And I love it because they like flag down one of the like uh, wait staff of the train, and they ask how many more tunnels there are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, then we get the the policemen who robbed the town. They're practicing for jumping onto the train, and they decide that they're going to make magnets yep. to attach themselves, so they'll stick to the train, so they can jump and just cling to it. Easy. So they're like rubbing, you know, like metal up against the rails and everything like that. Which uh, is really weird and hilarious when it first comes to that. It is fun. You're like, what are they doing? It's pretty great. And I think this is where, because it's before the train gets stopped, they have the whole like people trying to spy on the train. They want to go and make sure that, uh, or no, it's when. It's yeah, when, Chow's following Ching around. Yeah. And, and Chow does another really cool backflip off of a building. 
and Ching's riding off in the woods into his motorcycle, and Chow's chasing him on a horse. <laughs> and then, it, then there's, a, there's that really surreal moment where, so uh, Ching gets knocked off. Uh, he knocks Chow off of his horse. Mm, yeah. And he takes the horse and rides off on it. But Chow tries to ride off on the motorcycle. But then the motorcycle like bucks. Yeah. And rides off, drives off by itself <laughs> like it's a horse. Yeah. It's like it's indistinguishable from being like another horse. <laughs> it's like a Zucker Brothers movie all of a sudden. But you know, the the whole like motorcycle sidecar thing. And then the fact that he's wanting to use dynamite to stop the train. It made me think of uh, Duck, You Sucker. Okay. You familiar with that Western? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They had the Irishman dude who would, he just loved to like do explosives and stuff, and he had a motorcycle with a sidecar like that. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, so we see Ching. He's putting dynamite on the train tracks when Chow catches up to him. And... Oh, okay, but no, no, it's before this, I think. Oh, yeah? Um, on the train stuff, Han decides he's going to sneak and go see his mistress. Oh, right, Doesn't right, that happen right. before this? Yeah. And so he decides the best way to do it is to slip out the back and then go up on top of the train and walk car to car mm-hmm. to get to the train car that she's in and climb back down in through the window. And he comes up with this whole excuse about, was it his like, stomach's hurting? So he yeah, has to go he's to the bathroom. going to the bathroom, yeah. Um, but it's hilarious because one of the times he's going across the top of the train, those bandits are on the train now with like the magnets and stuff. And they're up on top of the train and they're like imbalanced and slipping and falling and stuff and struggling and then Han is just like striding yeah like it's a walk down the yeah, sidewalk right across the train like it means nothing to him <laughs> he just passes him huh? hello yep and they like never question it's just so so goofy and so like weird and surreal it's pretty good but yeah back to more important than that what you're talking about um, this is the first time that Sao and Ching really like throw down yeah it's a pretty good fight all the flips, all the kicks. Mm-hmm. They're, they're fighting in this like wooden shed. I guess it's the old abandoned uh, station where the train used to stop. Yeah. And, and Ching keeps trying to get to the uh, little plunger for the dynamite so he can set it off at the right time. Yeah. Sal's ill-determined to stop him. Um, and then the, the police bandits are trying to get on the train. And... Yeah, one of them was like riding up and trying to lasso onto like the smokestack or something. <laughs> yes. But the Flandering husband who's up there, he gets him around the neck. And that's a pretty funny scene where he's like choking and trying to get him <laughs> off. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Some of the other ones decide to hook a, a cart on the back of the train. Mm, yeah. <laughs> they, they really didn't think this through, I don't think. No, 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 no. Uh, two more of the robbers are trying to get their, uh, their, their cuff together and they're trying to sever the chain by laying on the tracks and Chig sees them because he knocks out uh, Chow yeah. at one point and he says go up further so they don't get blown up by the dynamite and uh, he blows up the tracks the train comes to a halt and there's that funny part where uh, the captain he's like hanging on the side of the train yeah. because of the magnets and everything and he can't really move but the train comes to an abrupt stop, and he starts sliding down the length of the train. <laughs> it's a good visual gag. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they have to uh, repair the track to get the train going again. Yep. And Chow and his men uh, get the police bandits, the robbers, and uh, and Ching starts leading everyone to town. Yep. He like, "Hey, we got we got a place you could stay. A nice hotel." Uh huh. So everybody's setting up at the hotel. Um, 
Which then, this is what's interesting about this film in a way is like, it's in the title, but now like the train doesn't matter anymore. Right. Like it's done. Yeah, it it served its purpose. Yeah. It's kind of just the inciting event for everything. No, I thought that was like where the climax would take place. Yeah, yeah. So everyone's gathering into the hotel. People are figuring out kind of who people are, like the Flandering husband still trying to hook up with his mistress. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mobsters are trying to find out where the Japanese people are. And yeah, they're ready to steal the map. This is the and, prime opportunity. And the mistress is in like room five and the Japanese are in room seven and they have like a connecting door. So you already know there's some <laughs> French farce stuff's about to come up. So this is the mobsters go in there and they subdue the mistress and there's like eight of them yeah. <laughs> in this room. And Th- this is probably my favorite joke of the whole. Yeah. They whole all thing. decide to hide. The train conductor comes in with his lady friend, right? Mm-hmm. They're looking for an empty room to fool around in. Yeah. So they all decide to hide because they don't know who's coming. So they're like in the armoires and under the bed and stuff. And they're kind of trying to mess around. Yeah, it looks like an empty room and empty bed, so they hop in the bed and start fooling around. And then the conductor has to get up and go to the bathroom or something. Mm-hmm. Then the flannering husband comes in. He dives right into the bed. And, but but it's... it's not his girl. <laughs> yeah. So she screams and... <laughs> uh, then the wife comes in and finds them. And then the husband comes up with this big story that he's a secret agent, that he and, and his mistress are secret agents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's it's hilarious because the the bandits just lean into this. Yeah, they all start coming out of hiding places, saying, "Yeah, I'm the, I am too. Me too. We're all we're all secret agents together." Yeah, yeah, they have like numbers, so it's like, "Oh, I'm number two. I'm number yeah. three. And of course, the husband's not going to say anything because they're all backing up each other's story. Oh, and you know when Han's going first over there to that room, they do the same kind of gag again, where he's up on the roof of the hotel. And there's one of the bandits up there too, right, and yeah. he just kind of like you know nods to him and yeah, he's says just hi. traipsing along the <laughs> roof, yeah. And the other guy's just walking like he's gonna fall any minute, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe he is a secret agent. I don't know. It's pretty nimble. Fukuloi <laughs> uh, shows back up. Yeah, back in the mix, and he identifies himself as CIA to Chow, and he's there to apprehend um, Ching. And he enlists Chow's aide to do so. Uh, which they do. And they put him in the jail. Uh-huh. And then the girls kind of mount a plan to get him out of there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They come with this big, big line that... Uh, basically a conjugal visit. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so his girlfriend... Um, Hung, I think her name is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, says, you know, she wants to go visit Ching so she can you know, have a child. And they, they allow it. <laughs> but, of course, he escapes. And he leaves without her. And she's locked up with the other sisters in the jail. However, at the same time, the full force of the bandits kind of waylay into the town. Yep, because that's where all the rich people are now. Yep. And so... Train, rural town, you know, whatever. It doesn't make a difference. Mm-hmm. They they storm the whole place, capture everybody, notably capturing the Japanese, so they can try to get that map. Mm-hmm. And then begin fleecing all the passengers. Yeah. And Jin comes back and he realizes that, because he wants to be with Hong, he doesn't want to just abandon her and leave. Mm-hmm. 
He comes back from the towns overrun by the bandits. The bandits are in charge. Everybody's in jail now. So it's up to him to rescue them. And they put Ching in charge to organize a plan to free the entire town. And then we get that cool scene where uh, Fook and Ching strap that Gatling gun to yeah. his motorcycle. Well, I kind of like, uh, not to super drill in on this, but like just before that, he goes in and like breaks them all out of the prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of have this moment where like uh, Fook even says like, hey, I'm not going to capture you. We're going to save the town and then I'll resume my chase. Right. Yeah. It's like a truce. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> super cool. Very awesome. Like Western yeah. moment. Yeah. So they're giving him hell with the Gatling gun. Yeah. And overheats at one point. <laughs> so Samo has to piss on the barrel. Yeah, it's this cool, like, it's very Django-ish. Like the moment where the Gatling gun comes out. Yeah. But, uh, much more comical here. <laughs> uh, so then the prisoners are all released and, and the big fight breaks out in the hotel. It becomes a huge, huge running battle all throughout the hotel. It's a big brawl. Um, I think some of the standouts here are obviously Samo Hung and Cynthia Rothrock's fight. Yeah, that's like one of the best fights in the whole film, I think. It's great. There's this great time. He kicks her like into, into a chair and she goes flying back. And this is another one where we had like a stunt accident I have in my notes here. Oh, I have um, no doubt. So while they were filming this, Cynthia kicked um, Samo's stunt double so hard in the side of the head that he started bleeding from the ear. Holy shit. I guess they kind of like missed the timing on it a little bit. You don't want to get kicked by her, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> no, not at all. And then there's that part where Samuel, he's like holding her and he just slams her down on the ground. Yeah. And you know, they're, they're, they're probably wearing pads and stuff, but man, they're, they're taking a lot of this abuse and it's just, oh, it's brutal. And that's kind of what I like about uh, Samuel's character in this film is that like, he's very goofy and kind of seems like he can't do much. But then, like, when it's in the moment, he really, like, he knows his stuff. He knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And he can throw down with the rest of them. Oh, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the the Japanese actors are given some fun stuff to do, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yukari Oshima, who plays the female one, they've never given him any names or anything. Uh, she's great. She's got the katana. She's yeah. cutting people up. She cuts up the, uh, the other uh, American bandit. Yeah. Right between the legs. Yeah. <laughs> Which that other bandit, it's uh, Richard Norton, plays him. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, thank you. Oh, and there's a great scene with uh, you and Bao fighting, fighting someone, and they're going up the staircase. Mm. Yeah, and, the, the choreography on that is like yeah. so so cool. And and Biao somehow he rolls up the banisters. Yeah, <laughs> like he's laying across the banisters, and somehow he manages to roll up them. It's not a special effect, you know. I mean, he's doing it and. I mean, he is always doing shit like that. He's amazing. Skill. Uh, so all the bad guys get beat up, knocked out. Um, the Japanese agents are trying to take off with the map, but they stop them too. And, and it's also like they're they're holding them down. They don't want to just take the map though, because Yuan Bao says, "Oh, that makes me a thief." Yeah. It's like you have to give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> so they kind of have to beat him into submission, but they do give up the map eventually. And then, of course, like all the great. You know, Hong Kong martial arts films, as soon as the bad guys are beat up, the movie pretty much ends. Yeah. Credits roll. <laughs> what more do you want? The uh, the problem was resolved. There's nothing more to uh, say here. Yeah, freeze frame. All the girls are after Yoon. 
And that is pretty much Millionaire's Express. Super fun film. And this is one of those movies where it's really hard to talk about because so much is visual. Right. You know, it's it's all the great... I think we even said that on Let the Bullets Fly, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you just... You, you really can't. We can it, never make it as funny as it is to experience the gags. Yeah, or the action as exhilarating as it can be. Uh, it's, so it's kind of frustrating talking about these types of movies, but at the same time, you want people to see them. Oh, yeah. So... Obviously, we need to start a YouTube channel where we can show <laughs> video clips of it. Uh, but then they, they take away your monetization, so <laughs> not, not a good way to go. Well, you don't want to be a YouTuber? No. Oh, man. You know, they tell me I got a face for radio, so. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> so. So, yeah. What's your, um, you got any other cool behind the scenes? Yeah, let's see here. I, I have some other random things here. So we, we talked about the cuts, which is an important thing to get into. Um, so I have some stuff about different the different cuts and prints and stuff. So um, most Asian prints of the film deleted the scene where Richard Norton and Cynthia Rothrock get introduced. That's a shame. The, the little, That's the, a cool little scene. scene. Yeah. It's one of her best scenes because she gets um, to do something. And then European cuts of the film deleted quite a few other things. So, um, let's see. Most of those always cut the scene where Sambo's defending the brothel, which is that part apparently you missed. Maybe I saw the European cut. Um, And I think, like, I saw a lot of people saying this online, and I agree with them. I think it hurts it to not have that scene, because it is kind of inconsequential, but I think it, it tells you so much about Ching as a character, about, like... He is this roguish, like ne'er do well. Yeah. But there is like a goodness in him as well that's like meaningful and right. uh, there's concern there. And I guess you still get that by the end of the film, but like it, it sets him up in an interesting way at the start. Um, let's see. And then a lot of the European cuts get rid of the scene during the final brawl where Ching's girls attack the bandits from the toilet stalls. And then you're you're kind of. I'm not sure if I saw that. That maybe also yeah. So I, I think maybe the cut you I'm, saw. I saw the European and, cut. Um. And then there's one there's one more scene, and that's where um the gangster played by Corey Yuen is having a short fight with um Kenny B's Marshall character, Fook Loy. Hmm. Yeah. I don't think that was in that, that one I saw either. Wow. Arrow. Hmm. Interesting. So I wonder. I know sometimes they put multiple cuts on Arrow. I wonder if that was like an option. I just had the one. I'm gonna have to let you borrow the Blu-ray then, and yeah, it'd be interesting to compare, see all the extra stuff. Hmm. Um, so that's that. Let's see what else uh, fun things about this film. <laughs> Again, I said there was a lot of weird like stunt problems or just like production things that were odd. So Richard Norton, he only had a single costume to use for the entire film. There wasn't any like extra copies, <laughs> and so it would get super soaked. And just like terrible with his sweat and stuff no, filming. Gross. And then they would have to lay it out on the set and dry it with like irons and hair dryers to get it ready to use again. Oh man, that must stink so bad. Um, let's see. Before filming, both Cynthia Rothrock and Richard Norton had some injuries going on. Uh, Cynthia tore a ligament in her knee, and Richard had a severe infection from cutting his leg. Yeah. Um, and if you look really closely, you can see they, they film their parts, but, uh, all their kicks are with the same leg every time. Oh. And that's cause they were trying to not use their bad leg. Interesting. Uh, let's see. Men are tough. Man, I stubbed my toe when I'm just out the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, the drawn out fight between, uh, Ching and Sao, 
that had a lot of issues when they were trying to film it. Um, apparently, Sambo kicked Yuen so hard in the chest that the latter was unable to breathe. And they had to, like, stop shooting and immediately have someone run in and help him, like, start breathing again. Do, like, Holy shit. chest compressions and stuff. Damn. A- again, it was, like, a timing thing where they yeah. just hit the wrong mark and he took, like, the full hit <sighs> square on. Um, let's see. I'm so glad they suffer for us. <laughs> oh, in general, it was noted that on this uh, shoot, it was, like, a really tight shooting schedule. Like, at some points, they were going, like, 24 hours getting everything in whenever they could. And a lot of them just lived on set. They would have like little hmm. little areas they could go to catch some sleep. Um, in an interview, Cynthia Rothrock had said that she remembered that she was actually discouraged from sleeping sometimes because that would put black circles around her eyes. Wow. And they were like, oh, just stay up until your next shot, you know. <laughs> Whatever to get it done. Jeez. Uh, and this is the last little fun fact I have. It's more to do with the English dub, which I didn't watch. I assume you didn't watch. No, no, no. Uh, so in the original dub, um, Samo's character Ching is dubbed by the voice actor Barry High. And he was the dub actor for Bruce Lee's character in Way of the Dragon. Huh. And so during that fight scene with Cynthia Rothrock, in the dub, he mimics like the Bruce Lee yell during one of the moments. Okay. As like a little funny nod to that. Yeah. Because in, in the fight scene, he's kind of doing Bruce Lee type moves, yeah, yeah. like the posing and stuff like that. So he throws throws in the actual like Bruce Lee like uh, kind of scream in there. Okay, uh, which is if you're watching the dub, I guess that's a fun little gag. Sure, but hmm, nice ah, dubs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what do we think about this movie? Yeah, I think that's the next place to go. Do you want me to go first? Uh, sure. Cool. So. I think the main thing when we talk about this film is like spectacle. This whole film is a big spectacle. There's all these crazy plots that intertwine, interweave, and make this one big picture. And I think many of those, if you look at them on the individual scale, they're kind of weak and they don't have a lot of substance to them. Like they're really just there for the gag and there's no like bigger payoff to them. Right. Like um, the masters and their pupils. Mm-hmm. they don't even really come up that much in the final battle. Like we see them, we see them doing a little bit, but it's not like that's never really more prominent than that joke on the train. Right. Um, Han and his affair, that kind of never really has like a full yeah. fruition to anything. Um, they're just there for the moment. But I think what's cool about it is it makes this very chaotic stew of like so much stuff going on mm-hmm. at once at the same time that it's very like uh it's it's overwhelming in one way but it's also very enjoyable to just be like immersed in that and to experience it sure um so i think if you wanted to be like critical on the film like is there a lot of substance here i i don't really know but the spectacle is so cool i think that's where the merit comes in for right. the movie mm-hmm. um i love samo's character ching i think he's just such a fun character i love his roguish nature but he's got that heart of gold. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's such a classic like Western archetype. Yeah. But just the way he plays it, like, uh, he has just so much charisma that just flows out of him. He's always been undervalued, I think, not only as a martial artist, but as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing for Yuan Biao. Uh, again, I love the whole like Looney Tunes-ish aspect yeah. between them, which is how they're always trying to one-up one another. Um, and then definitely that's where like I kept thinking like oh man let the bullets fly they have to have drawn from this movie oh, you know as it. as like a well for inspiration yeah um love the subplot with Han and the cheating that's just so fucking funny 
And so much of so much of it's like never explained either. Like, why is he so skilled at like walking through all these perilous <laughs> yeah. places? Uh, I guess it's just because he's the power of horniness, man. Yeah, <laughs> see you through anything. Um, and then yeah, that that final fight scene, like once it gets to the end and the final fight starts, like you know that's the rest of the movie, but it, it's so big and so epic and goes through so many different little movements and little individual fights that all merge together. It's so cool. So I'll say this is like. Uh, this is like film junk food to me. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so enjoyable, so much fun, so much great cinematography. Um, I think the score is like mm. not very remarkable. Uh, there's never really like a good, like refrain, like a lot of Westerns, you know, they have that like one cut. That's like the cut. In all fairness, I've, I can't really think of that many Hong Kong action films that had a score that I really, yeah. maybe outside of some of the John Woo stuff. Mm-hmm. None of it really sticks with me. Um, so. So, so that's a little weak. Uh, again, like I don't think there's a lot of depth. There's not any like meaningful, like you're not going to have like a life realization watching this film. Right. But you're going to have a damn good time yeah, and it's right. super fun. I enjoyed it so much. I'm going to go back and watch the other three cuts just because I got them. Hmm. Just so I can have seen all the permutations of this. Very cool. I super loved it. And I know I'm like the four star master this year, but I'm right at four stars on this. Oh, wow. Okay. Because damn, it was fun. Nice. Okay. Where are you at, my friend? I agree with you. I, th- I think a lot of it's... I think it's almost a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't really all come together at the end. Like with the two Sifus and their children, they just sort of disappear. Yeah. It's like we're introducing people and then forgetting about them immediately. Um, but it is a fun movie. You know, you're never really bored. Um, it is more of a comedy than an action film. Yeah. There's some good action sprinkled throughout, but you don't really get the good stuff until the end. Mm-hmm. That's a little frustrating for me. I wish there was a little bit more of a, of a good fight set piece, maybe in the middle. Yeah. Like the, the big one early on is really uh, when you went and Samo fight at the, the train station. Yeah. But even that's kind of like truncated in a way. Right. Right. And even then when, when we do get to the end, I feel like it's, it's over too quickly. Yeah, I, I, I think I wanted a bit more of a prolonged fight sequence, but what we do get is is excellent. Oh, and, yeah. and at least it doesn't overstate its welcome. <laughs> Which yeah, I don't know if that'll strike you weird about the hybrid cut because I think it's like a hundred and nine minutes. Okay, so I wonder if that's too long for you. I don't know. I don't think so. Mm. It doesn't seem that much more longer than the one I watched. I don't think so. I think I had it just here. In it's a probably like a matter of ten minutes or something. Yeah the the original Hong Kong theatrical cut is ninety seven minutes. Okay. So not not too much more. No. Um, I mean, it's got a great cast. Samuel Hung and Yoon Bao is just the best. Star-studded. Rock. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I think it's missing a certain... Like, to make it... A, it's not a classic. Mm-hmm. It's missing a certain... Je ne sais quoi. What the French call... <laughs> I don't know why. Um, uh, but, having said that, it is a load of fun. I, I give it... I give it three stars. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Just because the disjointedness <laughs> bothers me a little bit. Because um, I'm, I'm always much more of a fan of the action side instead of the comedy side. And while there are really funny parts here, it's also a little bit sort of like, you know, when are we going to get to the fireworks factory kind of mm-hmm. feeling. I, I can see that totally. Yeah. So, But, I mean, three stars. It's it's fun movie. If you have Arrow, check it out. Watch it. And if you're a collector, the Blu-ray is like a must-buy, I think. It's cool it's that it has all those really nice. cuts. I like it when they do and that. And just oodles of special features and stuff I haven't even dug into yet. Nice. Cool. So a, a good uh, recommendation from Cliffy. Fun movie. Thank you, Cliffy. 
you're two for two now. I think we have one or two other recommendations for you. Send us more, man. Yeah. We love it. Oh, yeah. All right, man. So what is next up? Right. We finished a block. That means it's time for another one. It was my pick. Fantasy's been fun, but we got to get back to the horror, I uh-huh. think. Sure. Um, and I had toyed with a few options, but I want to do this because I want to see what happens. This is like an experiment. Mm-hmm. I wondered what would happen if we pick something that was like really, really conventional. Cause we usually try to stream out into like the sidelines on things right. like international films or a topic that's kind of out there. That's try to be not, hip and cool. Yeah. And so I was like, what would happen if we pick something that was like very conventional, but kind of restrained ourselves from the obvious choices. Mm-hmm. So our next block is going to be slasher movies. Ooh, nice. And the one little constraint so, like, you did fantasy, and mm-hmm. you, you clarified, got to be, like, medieval-ish okay. or D&D-ish in some way. Right. So, my little, like, twi- twi- asterisk uh, twist on this is we're doing slashers, but we cannot use one of the big franchises. Okay, so no Friday 13th. Right, no Halloween, no Nightmare on Elm Street, all that good stuff. Okay. We, we got to go out... No, you have to clarify for Into me, the weeds. what, what, sla- when you say slasher, because a lot of times slasher, I think, is attributed to something that's not a slasher. Oh, in what way? Uh, I think a lot of times, like, Supernatural, like, like Wishmaster might get thrown that's into not a slasher. slasher. I don't think so either, but people put it in the slasher category sometimes. No. So. You and me know what a slasher is, and we'll get into that on the next episode. Okay. But, all right. All right. Um. No, nothing weird like that. Madman killing people. Yes. But they can be undead or like a demon like they, Freddy, they right? They can be supernatural, but they still have to embody the, the aspects of a, a slasher. A slasher ethos. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Fucking Wishmaster is not a slasher. <laughs> uh, listen, if you think Wishmaster is a slasher, fight me. Come find me, let's fight. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, man. I agree with you. Wow. Although I do like the movie. Oh, I do too. I love but it. But it's not a slasher film. Got the blue. <laughs> nice. And so I'm going to start us off, I think. We're going to try that now. Yeah, you go first. If you you pitch the topic, you're going to lead off with the first film. And I'm going to lead off with a maybe controversial choice here. Uh -uh. um, Wishmaster. (laughs) I've mentioned this before on the podcast. It's not a very well-seen movie. It's not a very well-loved movie. Let me just give you some preamble on this. Mm. Uh, Currently on Letterboxd, it's sitting at a 1.5 average rating. Okay. Um, All the people I am friends with on Letterboxd that I can see their ratings. Uh, they range between half star to one and a half star. So um, this may, I'm so excited to watch this movie. This Dustin. may be the biggest mistake I've ever made of the podcast, but we're going to see what happens. It's all right. There's been plenty. Um, we are going to check out, directed by Steve Walsh from 2015, the film Muck. Muck. Which is a throwback, modern, but looking backwards kind of style slasher um, that was made off a of Kickstarter. Okay. Which is the whole thing we can talk about next time. All right. Um, a lot of unknowns, like you would expect from a slasher, but we've got um, Kane Hodder playing the killer. So One of the most popular slasher actors ever. Which will be good to get into for next time as well. Excellent. Where can one watch Muck? I kind of looked around, and I don't think it's actively streaming anywhere that I could find. It's easily out there to rent. Okay. I think it was like a dollar ninety nine on Amazon. Sure. That's not much. Um, I've got the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. So sure you do. That's very easy for me. The <laughs> Blu-ray is easy to pick up too. I think it's usually like ten bucks places because this is not a very beloved film. Um but we'll get into that next time and 
maybe if you're wary on this one after all that I just said, wait and hear what Jason thinks about it next time. Now, is this something you think I will like, or are you trying to actively piss me off with this one? No, no, I'm not. I actually legitimately, there's things I like about it. I, I'm not going to say it's perfect. Right, God right. no. But I found things about it compelling, and I think it's kind of underseen, so it would be interesting to talk about and kind of put out there for people like, hey, did you ever catch this one? I don't know. Maybe maybe circle back for it. Okay. And then go leave your half-star review on Letterboxd. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Nice. Maybe I'll surprise you. I well, I'll look know. forward to it. I mean, just Kane Hodder alone. That's a bonus right there. Well, it's been a fun ride on this one. Mm-hmm. It's been a fun ride on the Millionaire's Express. <laughs> I did it. Yay! Um. So yeah, that was cool. Uh, right in. Talk to us. Tell us what you've been watching. Let us know if you saw the D and D movie. Get in on this with us. Yeah, we want to know what you think. We want to know what you think, especially if you're not like a D and D player. Like yeah. if you're just a movie goer, what you think? Yeah, just as a film fan and not a not a D and D fan because we can't turn that off in no. our brains. Um, Never. And you know, if you've seen Millionaires Express, let us know what you think. Uh, we always love to hear what you think about these movies too. And keep sending those movie recommendations. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Email us at genreexposure at gmail.com. I'm putting in the order for more stickers. Ooh. So we're going to start that, that if we run your uh, suggested film, we'll reach out. And if you want, it's totally compulsory. We will mail you a genre exposure sticker. So Cliffy gets a sticker if he wants one? He will, yeah. As soon as I get them in, I'm going to run down our list of prior submitters. Oh, so it's retroactive. Retroactive. I'm going to oh, reach wow. out. Again, totally voluntary. If you're like, hey, I don't want to give you guys an address to mail, that's fine. <laughs> we don't plan we, we understand. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just it's a cool way to give back and share the love, spread the love. So it's the perfect time to get in your suggestions to us. Awesome. That's fun. But all that being said, you have been listening to Genre Exposure. Bye, everyone. Take care. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening